Hey everybody, welcome back to Now Let's Be Honest. I'm your host, David Tate, and this is another episode in our ongoing series, Walking Through the Gospel of Matthew. I won't waste your time with any extended intro shenanigans, so let's get to our main discussion. We're only going to cover four verses in this entire sermon today. And the reason why is because if you don't understand these verses, which I think a lot of people don't, you're going to miss the entire purpose of this sermon. You're going to miss the entire message of this sermon. You're going to miss the entire message of Matthew's gospel. And you might vastly misunderstand Christ's ministry. Uh, And that might sound like a big claim, but that's because I think it is. Uh, Because a lot of people they misinterpret Christ's relationship to the law and what his intentions are. And I think that's because we aren't reading this careful enough. And so if you'll hang with me and just stick with me through this video, hopefully we'll be able to break this down in a way that leaves you going forward in this sermon and going forward in your own study of scripture, understanding to a better degree what exactly Christ's relationship is with the law that was first given to the people of Israel back at Mount Sinai under Moses. Because once again, I just think this is a place where people often get very, very lazy uh, when it comes to their study. And uh, you've got, you know, that quotations from like the Apostle Paul and stuff later on when it says we're not under the law, but we're under grace. And I think people misinterpret that a little bit as well. And just to give you a heads up, by the end of this video, you are going to feel no obligation to go eat only kosher foods and stuff like that. That's not what I'm trying to get us to do here. But I do want to highlight and give some nuances to Christ's teachings on the law and to highlight the fact that he did not simply get rid of it because that is exactly what he's claiming right here. He's saying he's not here to abolish the law. Uh, And so if you'll just hang with me, hopefully we'll be able to explain this in a thoughtful and biblical manner and we'll come out of this with a greater appreciation both of the law and of Christ and really of his ministry as well. And so let's hop in. These are the verses that we are covering today. Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20, immediately picking up after what I have described as the citizens of the kingdom where Christ described his beatitudes um, and then he described his followers as the salt and the light of the earth and the world. Right, And so picking up right from there, this is what he says. He says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So a lot of the times people will just glaze through this and they might pick and choose just different parts of this to focus on. But I really want us to look at all four of these verses together because there is some crucial and harsh teachings that Jesus is communicating here. And I'm hoping that we've accomplished this just in the last video that we covered. I don't want you to miss out on how strong the teachings are that Jesus is communicating, right? These are not just like passive teachings that you would hear from any teacher. Like if a pastor stood up at the pulpit and started saying stuff like this, you might want to consider leaving his church because this is some strong stuff that he is saying here. But ultimately you have to just wait it out and see 
whether or not Jesus can fulfill it. And what we're going to see in Jesus' life and ministry is that not only is he saying these things, but he backs up these claims with his life and with his action. And God himself gives him Jesus's, like, like the seal of approval, right? And so right off the bat, Jesus says this, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. The reason why he's having to say this is obviously to counter what some people are probably thinking, right? You don't have to tell somebody to not think something unless they were already being tempted to think that, right? And so if you just look at the previous verses, you might understand what Jesus, like, like how his listeners might come to this conclusion. Because I argued in the previous verses, Jesus is kind of telling his followers that they are meant to step into the role that the people of Israel were originally supposed to fulfill, right? He says that you are the light of the world. Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, you see that God is the light of Israel and Israel was kind of supposed to be the light of the world, right? Jerusalem was supposed to be the city of light dwelling in a world of darkness. And everybody was supposed to look to Israel. And as a result of Israel's testimony was supposed to flock to the God of Israel. But they weren't really doing that. And this is something that's been consistent throughout Matthew's gospel. If you go back a few chapters earlier, do you remember how Jesus moved to Capernaum? He moved to Galilee. And that's where Matthew quoted the prophecy about those who dwelling in darkness seeing a great light. Right. So the people down in Israel, like in Judah and in Jerusalem, they thought that they were the ones living in the light. And they looked down on the people of Galilee as if those were people walking in darkness. But Matthew quotes Isaiah's prophecy and says the people in Galilee are the ones who are seeing the light. And so all of this has to be read in context of Jesus kind of indicting the people of Jerusalem and the people in charge over Israel at this time period. And if you are one of his listeners during the sermon, you're probably beginning to think, wait a second. So if we're all supposed to follow you, does that mean that you're like getting rid of the law? And sure enough, as you progress through the gospel of Matthew, you're going to see people wrestling through this very concept when it comes to Christ's ministry, because there's going to be a lot of things that Jesus does that seem to go against the law. But what we're going to see, and we're going to see this through the verses right here, is that Jesus is not against the law. What he's against is the righteousness being touted by the Pharisees and the scribes at this time period, right? They had created a hedge around the law and they had started teaching that as if it were law. And what Jesus is going to do later on is he's actually going to quote the gospel of Isaiah, uh, not the gospel, he's going to quote the prophet Isaiah once again. And he's going to say that these Pharisees are guilty of teaching human traditions as if they were the commandments of God. And that's specifically what Jesus is against. So he's not against the law. He is against human traditions being taught as if they were the law, right? And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes had done. In their zeal to obey God's law, they had created a law in and of themselves, but they had started saying that their own human law was God's law. That's what Jesus is against. And that's what we're really wrestling through throughout this entire thing. That's why he's indicting the people of Jerusalem. It's not because they're following God's law. The point is that they have missed God's law entirely. And that's why he's giving this sermon. He wants to explain it to them. And so he tells his listeners, I don't like right off the bat, 
I don't want you to misunderstand my ministry. I am not trying to lead you away from the law. He is not trying to get the people of Israel to apostatize because God gave them that law for a reason, right? He wouldn't have given them the law on Mount Sinai unless he wanted them to have it. And so Jesus is communicating, I'm not contradicting the Hebrew Bible. I'm not contradicting the scriptures that came before. I am not here to tell you the law is a bad thing. I'm not here to get rid of the law. So he says, do not think I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he emphasizes twice. I'm not here to abolish the law of the prophets. I'm not here to abolish. I'm here to fulfill. And he's not just talking about the law. He's also talking about the prophets as well. And so if you take both of these, really what he's suggesting is the entire Old Testament scriptures, what Jewish people would call the Hebrew Bible, right? This is the Tanakh. He's saying, hey, I'm not getting rid of your Old Testament scriptures. I am not here to start a cult or start a new thing. What he is asserting in this very first verse is he is saying, the thing that I am doing here, while it might appear to be new, it is actually a fulfillment of what the scripture said would happen. And this is something we've also talked about in previous videos. Every time Matthew uses that word fulfill, plerao, there's always a twist to it, right? He is fulfilling what was talked about in the past, but it might not be how people expected it to come about. And that's exactly what Jesus is asserting. He's saying, you might be looking at me and you might think that what I'm doing is contradicting the scriptures and it's getting rid of the scriptures, but that's because the people who have been teaching you the scriptures have misunderstood them and misrepresented them to you. And that's the reason why it looks like I'm doing something so vastly different. And so what Jesus is going to do in the verses that follow, and that's why I need us to understand and really focus on these verses here, is he's going to explain the proper interpretation of the Old Testament law. And he's going to correct the view of the law that the Pharisees and the scribes had misrepresented to the people. And so if you understand what he's claiming here, you'll understand the rest of the sermon because what he's specifically doing is he is contrasting his interpretation of the law with that of the Pharisees and scribes. And that's not because the Pharisees and scribes were just totally wrong in everything they did. It's actually because they were so close to the truth, right? He's not having to go criticize pagans or anything right here because everybody knows that, like if you're a Jewish person, everybody knows that the pagans are wrong, right? Everybody knows that. But for the Jewish people at this time period, they looked at the Pharisees and the scribes as the righteous of the righteous. And so Jesus is showing up on the scene and he's going to give a nuanced approach to this. And he's going to say, hey, these guys are right in some things, but here's where they're wrong. And that's why it's so messed up because what they're doing is they are taking the law and they're making it more of a means to glorify themselves and to glorify men rather than to glorify God. And that's what Jesus is against. And so he says, hey, I am not here to get rid of the Old Testament scriptures. I am not here to get rid of the law. I'm not here to get rid of the prophets. I'm here to fulfill them, but I'm not gonna be fulfilling them how you might've expected. And that's because you've had a wrong interpretation of them all along. I'm here to explain that to you. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all's accomplished. That's a big claim. And once again, it serves to re-emphasize the fact that he is not here to get rid of those things. He's saying, hey, the law will endure and the law will be there until heaven and earth pass away. This is where a lot of times us as Christians misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Because we read this and we think, oh, like, like we read this and then we read the passage where Paul says, not under law, but under grace and stuff like that. 
And we immediately think that Jesus got rid of the law. And in fact, just a few days ago, I was having a debate with somebody about this very same topic where he says that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount came in and he changed things and he got rid of the law. You can't come to that conclusion because at the very beginning of his sermon, Jesus clarifies, that's not what I'm here to do. I am not here to get rid of the law. And in fact, if you think that I'm here to get rid of the law, you've missed the point entirely. Because he says, until heaven and earth pass away, until the end of time itself, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Right? So until heaven and earth pass away, until the end of all days, until the Son of Man returns on the clouds and restores Eden, the law is going to stand. And he's not saying just certain components of the law. He says every time you cross a T and dot an I, every single one of those is vastly essential to the message. And so what Jesus is communicating is, I'm not here to get rid of it. That's going to stand, but you have to have the proper interpretation of it in order to respond properly to it, because apparently there's something in the law and the prophets that awaits future accomplishment, and Jesus is here to accomplish it, right? And so, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And then, if those weren't strong enough teachings, if he hasn't made his point clear enough, he makes it even stronger in the verse that follows. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, right? So he says, in fact, if you're out there and you're suggesting that even one of the smallest of these commandments no longer matters, then you are going to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. He's not inherently saying that you're not going to belong there and you're not going to be there. He's just going to say, don't expect many rewards in heaven if you make small of these commandments. So if anything, Jesus is saying, like he's basically laying the groundwork. He says, I'm not here to get rid of the law, I'm actually here to heighten the law. If you can believe it, what the Pharisees and scribes have done, they have not taken the law high enough. That is what he's communicating here, right? Whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments, he's not saying just the major commandments, right? Because you could look at the law and you might say, okay, some of these are more important than others. And Jesus would actually agree with that, right? Later on, people are going to say, hey, what do you think is the most important commandment? And he'll say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. Because Jesus will say, yeah, there are certain commandments that are more important than others. And he'll say, if you just look at those two commandments, you have the entire law summarized right there. So there are certain laws that are really important. There are other ones that are probably not as important. But Jesus says, if you get rid of even one of the not important laws, if you get rid of one of the laws that most people would agree are less important than the others, he says, you've missed the point of my ministry entirely. You can't get rid of even the least of these commandments and expect some role of prominence in the kingdom of heaven. Ironically, if you look at the modern church, that's exactly how we do things, right? It's touted as like this amazing thing. If you just say like, no, the law, we don't need that at all. It's bad, bad, bad. That's missing the point. No, we are supposed to revere the law and we're supposed to look to the law, but Jesus is going to specify that our relationship to the law is different than we might have expected, but that doesn't mean we get rid of the law altogether. And I'm purposefully not telling you exactly what that relationship is yet, because I'm going to save that for in just a second, right? 
Um, but he's specifically emphasizing, I'm not here to get rid of it. Don't think that I'm here to start a whole new thing. Yes, it is a new thing, but really it's a fulfillment of an old thing. It's just not how you expected that thing to be fulfilled. And this is also important for Jesus to do, uh, because in the law itself, in the book of Deuteronomy, you have standards being set for prophets to come. And the prophets in the future will be tested by whether or not what they're teaching is consistent with the law that has already been given and with the scriptures that have already been revealed. And so if Jesus shows up and he says, hey, get rid of the law, he has to be denounced as a false prophet. And so Jesus in this sermon right off the bat is saying, hey, I am not here to contradict anything that God has revealed in the Old Testament scriptures. And I'm not even here to get rid of it. Rather, I'm here to bring those things to their fulfillment. And so he's identifying himself as a true prophet whose message is entirely consistent with the Old Testament scriptures. And he says, if any of my followers gets rid of even the least of these commandments, then you are going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. On the other hand, whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So whoever of his followers not only seeks to obey the law, but teaches others to obey them, he'll be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now think about that. Think about if you were to look at our current church as it is nowadays, how little we teach from the Old Testament and how little we often encourage people to obey things taught in the Old Testament. That's kind of scary because Jesus says the people who do and teach them, they're the ones who are going to be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And once again, just to clarify, because I don't want people to get scared here, I am not suggesting that you need to start going and following all the kosher food laws and that you need to only wear clothes of certain fabrics and that you can only cut your hair in certain ways. I'm not suggesting that. And I'll clarify why momentarily. All I'm pointing out here is that the reverence and respect and role that Jesus gives to the Old Testament scriptures is something that we don't see reflected in our modern churches nearly as much as we should. And I'm not going to say, like, this isn't just Jesus. The Apostle Paul, later on, 2 Timothy, he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Whenever Paul is writing there and he says scriptures, he's not talking about the New Testament scriptures. Those are still being written. Maybe he was aware of some of them and he's including those in there. But whenever he uses the word scriptures, he is specifically talking about the Hebrew Bible. And he is saying that those things are useful to teach you and rebuke you and correct you and train you. And he's writing to Timothy, who is a Gentile. And so there's something in the Old Testament scriptures that is useful even for Gentiles to learn and process and grasp right? And so I'm just trying to emphasize this because what we need to make clear is that Jesus is not abolishing the law. He's doing something different through it. And in order to understand what he's doing through it, all you have to do is look at verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Right there, Jesus explains his interpretive model of the law and why you can't get rid of the law. It's all about the standard of righteousness, right? That is the main issue, and that's why we need the law, right? He doesn't mention anything about salvation here. He doesn't mention anything about being made right with God in the sense of being saved, right? He's not saying you need the law to be saved, that's what a lot of people might suggest. And that's where you get more into like the cultish areas, right? Where people say you have to follow the law if you want to be saved. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about 
the law's role in giving us a standard of righteousness. And he tells the people that the standard of righteousness being touted by the Pharisees and the scribes at this time period is not sufficient, which would have been mind-blowing to the people at this time period, right? I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. What? This is crazy. Like, if you know anything about people in the first century in Israel, the scribes and Pharisees were touted as the righteous of the righteous. If you wanted to know what it looked like to live for God, you would look to the scribes and Pharisees. These guys were the ones who took the law seriously. These are the ones who had the law memorized. These are the ones who knew it forwards and backwards, left and right. These are the ones who went around with giant phylacteries and everybody just knew that they were the righteous people. These are the ones who stood on street corners praying because they were so pious. These are the people who were fasting twice a week. These are the people who were constantly devoting themselves to God and doing righteous things. And Jesus says, if you want to make it into the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness and your standard of righteousness has to surpass that. And the only way it'll surpass that is if you go back to the law and understand it correctly. Now, this is a bold claim because in asserting this, Jesus is also making a bold claim about himself. He is saying, all those scribes and Pharisees that you look to for righteousness and you look to for the interpretation of the law, they've missed the point of the law entirely. And you might think they're righteous, but they're actually not. At the same time, he's saying, if you listen to me and you hear my words and you listen to what I'm about to tell you, I'm about to tell you the correct standard of righteousness that is established by the law. So basically, Jesus is declaring open warfare on the scribes and Pharisees right here. He says, y'all look to these guys as if they are the standard of righteousness. But if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be better than all of them. Because currently as it stands, their righteousness is insufficient. And so once again, he's not suggesting that the law saves you. He is suggesting that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven and you want to be saved, you do need to be righteous. And he's saying that the law tells you the standard of righteousness, but there's never a point where he is saying that the law actually saves people from their sins. The point is that the law does teach us about righteousness and you look at the law as an interpretive lens to figure out whether or not you are righteous before God. The scribes and the Pharisees, they think they are righteous and everybody else looks to them as though they are righteous. But Jesus points out, even those guys are not righteous. You need a righteousness that surpasses that. And the righteousness that's required can be found in the law. You simply have to look at it. But then the question's ultimately going to become, well, how do I get that righteousness? Right? If there is a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, where do I attain it? And Jesus has already answered that back in verse 17. Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He says, I'm the one who's here to fulfill the law and the prophets. I am the one who is here to be truly righteous. And so if you want to be righteous, you're going to have to look to me and you're going to have to follow me. That is going to be the key to understanding our role in regards to, or that's going to be the key to understanding the law's role in relationship to us and our relationship to the law. And so there's that. But now what I want to do is I just want to break down that phrase specifically, fulfill the law. How does Jesus in particular fulfill the law? I think there's five primary ways that he does this, and you begin to see this in the Sermon on the Mount. First off, he is demonstrating the heart of the law. 
in the verses that follow, Jesus is going to begin to slowly but surely exegete some of the commandments in the law. He's not going to do all of them because there's 613 commandments. That would take way too long. But he's going to start with some of the Ten Commandments. And he's going to start breaking them down. And he's going to say, here's what the law said. Now, let me explain to you the heart behind the law. And what he's going to communicate is that it was never simply about obeying external commands. Instead, ultimately, as he's going to answer later on, whenever the scribes and Pharisees come up to him and say, what was the greatest commandment? Ultimately, the purpose of the law was to teach you to love God and love others. Love is not merely an external thing. Yes, it exercises itself in external manners, but it's actually an internal thing that's a matter of the heart. And so Jesus is communicating that the heart of the law was never simply about external actions. It was always about the internal heart of the individual, and it flows from the internal heart of God. And so God gave the law to show people some external ways to apply the principles that reflected his heart. And in doing this, they were supposed to learn his heart, and they were supposed to model his heart in their own hearts. That is what Jesus is communicating, and that's how he's fulfilling the law. He is saying, here's the law, and here is how you actually fulfill it, and he's going to do that. Secondly, he's demonstrating that the law cannot save, because ultimately, if the heart of the law is communicating that righteousness ultimately comes from the heart and not merely your actions, well, here's the issue, and you can learn this from just going and looking at the law and the prophets. The heart is deceitful above all things. Whenever man is left to his own devices, even if he has the law, he'll do what's right in his own eyes. Have you ever read the book of Judges? The people of Israel had already received the law. They told Joshua at the end of his book, we are going to follow the law. We're going to commit ourselves to God and we're going to do what he says to do. But then you go to the book of Judges and every man's doing what's right in his own eyes and there's no king in Israel. They'd received the law but they did what was right in their own eyes. They wanted to obey God, but the heart is deceitful and it leads you astray. And so what Jesus is going to communicate through this is that if you're looking to the law and your obedience to the law as a standard of whether or not you're right before God, well, you're going to realize you're not right before God. Because if your goal is to simply not commit adultery, well, sure, you might get through life not committing adultery, but that's never what the law was ultimately about. The law was meant to penetrate deeper than mere external actions. The law can make you righteous before men externally, but ultimately, if you're interpreting the heart of the law, it can't make you right before God, right? It cannot save you because the heart is deceitful. None of us are righteous. That's what he's going to highlight. And so if those two things are true, not only can the law not save us, but the law itself actually condemns us. Right? Because if you're reading, I mean, just Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Shema, the thing that the people of Israel would recite every single day. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Who of us can say that we actually do that? And this is something that I've actually seen us in our churches fail to do. There was one time where I literally heard a pastor stand at a pulpit and say, Who here loves the Lord your God with all your heart? And I kid you not, he raised his hand. And everybody in the congregation raised their hand, except for me and maybe like five other people. That scared me because it shows us, it showed me that even as Christians, we have failed to understand the law. Can you genuinely say you love the Lord your God with all your heart? I can't. I want to. I desperately want to. 
but I can't because the standard of the law is too high. I know my heart and there's places where I don't even know my heart, but what I do know of my heart is that it's deceitful and it longs for all these other things beyond just God. And I wish I could love him with all my heart, but I don't. I wish I could love him with all my mind, but my mind strays after all these things. And so even if I just look at that one commandment, I can see that the law condemns me because I cannot do it. At the same time, he's demonstrating this. The law was never meant to save. That's another key thing, right? So whenever we see that the law cannot save, we're not supposed to look at this and say that the law has failed its purpose. What Jesus is going to communicate and what he's already communicated in these verses is that the law was never meant to save. What the law was supposed to do was to demonstrate God's standard of righteousness. And in that regard, the law served its purpose perfectly, right? And Jesus says, if you want to be righteous, you've got to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The issue is that the scribes and the Pharisees had already built a hedge around the law, right? But the whole thing is the law was never meant to save. You could not obey the law itself and be made right before God. I mean, I guess you could if you fulfilled it all the way, but the thing is, humans can't, right? And God knew that. And so when he gave them the law, yes, he did reveal his standard of righteousness. And yes, if somebody did obey the law to a T, I guess hypothetically they could be saved. But God knew that that was not possible. God knew that man could not genuinely love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, because he knew that man's heart was desperately wicked. The same God who said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the same God who, through the prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, right? And so the same God knew both of these things to be true. And that means that when he gave the law, he was not giving the people of Israel something that was meant to save them. He was giving them something which was meant to demonstrate their condemnation and their need for a greater savior and a greater righteousness, which is the fourth way that Jesus is fulfilling the law. He's demonstrating that we need a greater righteousness. That's exactly what he communicated in regards to the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven, right? He's not saying that you'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. He says, unless you find a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not even going to make it into the kingdom right? This is salvation language. You need a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And these are people who have already gone so above and beyond the law that they have built a hedge around it. I mean, they won't even pick up a mat on the Sabbath day, right? That's how focused they are on trying to be righteous. But what Jesus is pointing out is that the righteousness can't merely be an external thing. God doesn't merely concern himself with external matters. He's concerned with the heart of man and the internal heart. And that's something that man can't produce, right? So as hard as man tries, he can try to have a heart that's fully devoted to God. But man can't do it. He needs a greater righteousness, but he can't attain it for himself. That's the scary thing. If you read the law rightly, you might be led to a like just almost like to depression, to futility, because you look at it and you realize I can't obey this thing. I can't fulfill this thing. I see the standard and it's too high for me. How could I possibly obey this? How God wants me to obey it? How could I possibly be right before God? I might be able to obey the law in a way that I don't get stoned to death. And I might be able to obey the law in a way that I'm not condemned before men and I'm not put in prison for the rest of my life. But when I die and I stand before God, how can I truly say I'm righteous? 
if the law is his standard of righteousness. I need a greater righteousness. And even the scribes and the Pharisees, the best among us, even they did not attain to that righteousness. That's what Jesus is highlighting, which leads to the fifth thing that he's also highlighting. Jesus is demonstrating that he is that greater righteousness. When Jesus showed up, he says, I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill them. He's not merely here to fulfill the law and the prophets by explaining them. He's here to fulfill the law and prophets by living them out. And that's exactly how we've seen Matthew frame the story. I mean, he literally has framed the story of Jesus as following in the footsteps of the people of Israel, starting in Genesis and walking through the story. And he's going to go all the way to the end of the Hebrew Bible. So Jesus is literally in Matthew's gospel, living out the Old Testament scriptures. But beyond that, he is going to fulfill every iota, every yod, every jot and tittle. He's going to fulfill every aspect of the law. But once again, with a twist, he will keep the law not according to human standards, but according to God's. There are going to be multiple times throughout Matthew's gospel where Jesus comes head to head with the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're going to accuse him of breaking the law. And you could say that in a way, he did break the law. But he's not breaking God's law. He's breaking man's law, right? There are going to be certain times where he does certain things that violate the oral law that the scribes and the Pharisees had put in place. But not one time is Jesus going to violate God's law, both the external commandments that we find in scripture, but also the internal commandments, right? There's never going to be a moment when Jesus lusts. There's never going to be a moment when Jesus is angry at somebody who God himself was not angry at. There's never going to be a moment when Jesus does something unloving to another individual, even if from external perspectives, it appears that way. That's what Jesus is here to do. He is here to do what man himself could not do. He is here to have a heart that is not desperately wicked, that is not deceitful. That is what Jesus has showed up to accomplish. He is going to show up and he is going to fulfill the law in the sense of doing what man could not do, in the sense of achieving the righteousness that man could not achieve. And thus, what Jesus is claiming here, and don't miss this, just in these verses right here, once again, it's amazing what Jesus is asserting here. What Jesus is claiming is that if somebody wants to follow the law, they must follow him. And the reason he demonstrates that and the way he demonstrates that is through these five things. He demonstrates the heart of the law. And through that, he demonstrates the law cannot save. And through demonstrating the law cannot save, he shows that the law was never meant to save. And if the law was, meant to ne was never meant to save, then the law's purpose was simply to demonstrate a righteousness that man could not attain. And therefore, he demonstrated that we need a greater righteousness, a righteousness that is seen in the law, but cannot be attained by merely following the law. And if we understand that, then we see that he is demonstrating that he is the greater righteousness because he shows up on the scene and what he is claiming to do is to do what man could not. And therefore, if man wants that greater righteousness, he gets it not merely by following the law, but by following Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we're not called to obey the external commands that Jesus gives us. No, as we're going to see throughout the rest of this sermon, Jesus is going to give command after command after command. But here's the thing. Those commandments are not meant to save us. Those commandments are meant to flow from willing submission and obedience to our king. Jesus is the one who is going to save us. 
That is what he is asserting right here. And that is mind-blowing, right? Imagine that I were to preach a sermon and I were to stand before everybody and say, hey guys, the law cannot save you. If you look at the scriptures, they cannot save you. Only I can save you. That is a bold claim, yet that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And none of his original audience would have missed this. They would have been like, whoa, that is a big claim. These scriptures have existed for thousands of years, and now you're rolling up on the scene, and you're saying you're not wanting to get rid of them, but you're here to fulfill them, and you're willing to give us, and you're here to give us what they could not do, right? Think about how highly the Jewish people revere scriptures. And Jesus saying, I'm fulfilling them, and I'm giving you something that even scripture itself could not give you. That is absolutely mind-blowing. And that's supposed to be the takeaway. But then we move on, and now I want to do, what I want to do is I want to give us some conclusions that we can arrive at from here, and then I want us to just look forward at what we can expect through some of the verses that follow without actually getting into them. All right, so some conclusions we can arrive at. There's five main conclusions that I think we can take from this and apply into our own lives. First off, the law is a good thing. We should study the Old Testament scriptures, and we should study them deeply. I am an Old Testament guy. I love the New Testament, but man, there's something about the Old Testament that just draws me in and captivates me. The same is true with the New Testament, but I think I'm specifically drawn to the Old Testament a lot just because we've neglected it so much in our modern churches. The law is a good thing. Jesus didn't come here to get rid of it. He came here to fulfill it. And that's because, first, like secondly, the law shows us the righteousness of God, right? The law does not show us how to get saved other than, I guess, hypothetically, if you actually achieve the righteousness of God, but you can't do that. And so instead, the law served the purpose of showing us the righteousness of God. And through that, the law shows us we are not good people, right? We are not good people because it's not merely about the external actions. It's about our hearts. And the law says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And we don't do that. And the law tells us that we shall love the Lord our God with all our soul. And we don't do that. And it says that we should love the Lord our God with all our mind, with all our strength. And we don't do that. So the law shows us God's righteousness. And at the same time, it shows us that we have not leveled up to that righteousness. And furthermore, it shows us that we can't do that. And this is the heartbreaking aspect of the law, right? We look at it and it breaks our heart because even if we wanted to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, which I want to, we don't do it, right? Because sometimes I don't even want to, right? Sometimes I want to want to love the Lord my God with all my heart. I simply can't do it. But that doesn't mean the law is a bad thing, and that doesn't mean we chuck the law out. Instead, we have to keep studying the law, and we have to become more and more convicted about the ways that we don't and can't fulfill it. And fifthly, if we are to fulfill the law, we need a greater righteousness. We have to realize that the standard of the law is too high for us. We can't ever measure up to it. And therefore, if we are to be righteous in the eyes of God, we need a greater righteousness that can be achieved not through the law, but through somebody who has fulfilled the law. That's ultimately what Jesus is saying. And if you miss this, you're missing the entire message of the gospel right? This is what Jesus is asserting right here through pointing out that we can't get rid of the law. He is pointing out that it is by grace through faith that you will be saved, not of your own works because your works are not sufficient, right? But you only know that 
if you look back at the law. And that's why the Apostle Paul can say we're not under the law, but we're under grace. Because yes, the law condemns us. And if you look to the law, you will see that you cannot be saved. But thanks be to God that by his grace, he has given us another means by which to be saved. However, Jesus' original audience wouldn't have understood how this was going to come about yet because they wouldn't have understood about the cross or about the resurrection or anything like that. They simply look at his assertions and now you can see how Jesus is drawing a line in the sand and how people are going to have to make a decision about him, right? How do you respond to somebody who is making these claims? Either you reject him as a heretic or you trust him and see if he can back it up. And that's exactly what's going to happen after the Sermon on the Mount, right? People are going to respond and they're going to say, nobody's ever taught with such authority. He's not teaching like a scribe and Pharisee. He's teaching like a king and he's teaching like God. He's teaching like the Savior. And then as you go further through Matthew's gospel, he's going to start giving us miracles to demonstrate that Jesus isn't just talk. He's got actions and he's got supernatural powers to back this up. And that's ultimately going to culminate at the cross, right? So that's where we're heading. But just to set for what, where we're immediately heading in next week, I want us to look at how Jesus is going to interpret the law, uh, which is going to further reinforce what we've already talked about. Because what he's going to do is he is going to give five different examples of things that the law taught and how people misinterpreted it, right? And so he's going to quote the law's demand, and then he is going to give his own commandment for each of these, right? So he's going to say, you have heard it said, you shall not murder, right? This is what the law said. And then he's going to interpret it, and he's actually going to raise the bar and demonstrate the heart of the law. And then he's going to give examples that explain how to actually follow the law in a redemptive and um, a really beautiful way. So that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to do talking about murder, about adultery, about false speech and false vows, about retribution, and about love, right? That's what we're going to cover next week. So we're going to be going a lot quicker through these. Like today, we only covered four verses. Next week, we're going to cover so much, right? Uh, we're going to just be like blasting through it. Um, and, unless I decide to split it into two weeks, but I, I'd really like to do it in just one week. We'll see how I feel when I get there. Um, but he's going to give these examples just to give us an interpretive and exegetical lens through which to study the law. So whenever we go back and we study the Old Testament scriptures, we will be able to understand the heart behind what God is communicating rather than simply looking at the external actions being demanded. And then at the very end of that, chapter 5, verse 48, the last verse of chapter 5, this is what Jesus is going to say. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And in saying that, Jesus is going to reinforce the point that I have been trying to make this entire video. This is not a righteousness we can attain to, right? If you're wanting to make it into the kingdom of heaven, being righteous like the scribes and Pharisees is not enough. And you might respond and say, well, Jesus, who is more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees? And he says, your father in heaven. But our father in heaven is perfect. And he says, exactly. If you want to make it into the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be part of my kingdom, you need to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But Jesus, how could I possibly do that? I'm a sinful person. I've already messed this up just by nature of being born. Like I am such a sinner from my youngest of ages. How could I possibly be perfect as God is perfect? Even before I knew I was sinning, I was sinning because I'm selfish. How could I possibly be perfect? I can't be righteous like that. And Jesus is saying, that's the point. The point is that you can't be righteous in and of yourself. The only way to be righteous is to be given a righteousness that is equal to that of the fathers. And Jesus is claiming, that's what I'm here to do, right? I am here 
to fulfill the prophets. I am here to fulfill the law. I am here to do what man could not do. And therefore, if you want to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, you need to follow me and you need to obey these commandments, not because you're trying to be righteous, but because you're submitting to the king in charge of the kingdom. That is what he is communicating through this. And if you miss this, you are going to misinterpret the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to misinterpret the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. And you're going to misinterpret the Gospel itself. What Jesus is asserting here is that, yes, there is a righteousness taught by the law. And yes, that righteousness can be attained. But no, that righteousness cannot be attained by us. That righteousness can only be attained by Jesus himself, the son of the father who has shown up to fulfill the law and the prophets so that anybody who follows him will in some mysterious way yet to be unveiled in the gospels, in some mysterious way, his followers will be receiving the very righteousness that he has attained. And therefore, though they are unrighteous, they will be perfect as their heavenly father is perfect in the eyes of God. That is the message that Jesus is communicating in these verses. That being said, that's all I've got for y'all today. Once again, thank y'all so much for listening in. And I just want to remind you that if you want more biblical content like this, I have plenty more on the Now Let's Be Honest YouTube channel. Also, if you don't mind, leaving an honest rating and review for this podcast would be a super huge help for helping spread the word. Until next time, I've been David Tate. This has been Now Let's Be Honest, and I look forward to moving further along in our study next week. Be sure to keep a smile on your face and don't let anybody steal your joy. Maranatha.